This is St. Peter's Sunday Morning Bible Group, and I'm Pastor Adam. Each week, we record our teaching time to aid you in your discipleship and to help create a resilient faith that is able to respond to the changing landscape of culture and life with the fullness of grace and truth. And hey, if you happen to live in the Columbus area, we would love to see you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head over to our website at stpeterscolumbus.org. That's stpeterscolumbus.org. Here is this week's Sunday Morning Bible Group. Today we're going to talk about stigma, and the video um, is about stigma. And um, so defined as a mark or sign of disgrace or discredit associated with a particular circumstance, quality, or person. And um, man, I need my notes. <laughs> so how stigma develops are these three things. And I got a great example that David's gonna bring back here. But before we do that, we're gonna talk about stereotyping. I'll let you guys discuss right now. Um, what examples outside of mental health can you think of where people are stereotyped? We thought about engineers have no, uh, no knowledge of their feelings, right? Engineers just are disconnected from their feelings, right? If you drive a junk car, that means you're poor, right? Um, I'm not saying these are true, but just stereotypes. Or if you receive some kind of government assistance, maybe that means you're lazy, you won't get a job. Just stereotypes um, that, that not even related to mental health can you think of. Just take a minute um, at your table and talk about that. Other ones that you can think of, and then we'll, David will be here with our notes and we'll be good to go. Um, what did you come up with? What interesting stereotypes did you come up with? What interesting stereotypes did you come up with? Bald women have cancer. Blondes. Sorry. Yeah. Not not saying anything, Trish. Seriously, though, other ones. Homeless, what? Lazy. Okay. Yeah, just get a job. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to go back to the slide that I didn't have the notes from, and I just want to read to you these three steps. So here's, a, here's an example of how this happens. So Letitia recently watched a television series where a person living with schizophrenia was portrayed as violent and dangerous. So that's the stereotype. Someone with mental illness is violent and dangerous. Um, Letitia and her friend, Liz, have children in the same kindergarten class. Letitia feels anxious and alarmed when she learns that Liz experienced symptoms of psychosis prior to being diagnosed with postpartum depression. So that's prejudice. She feels anxious and She's, there's prejudice there then. Letitia, then the third thing, discrimination. Letitia decides that she will neither befriend Liz nor allow her child to visit with Liz's child anymore since she doesn't trust Liz to keep the children safe. And then Letitia quietly shares her concerns with other parents. So then that becomes discrimination. So um, kind of the process of how that happens and an example of that. 
and then we talked about that. Go ahead, David. Yeah, so I'll touch on the different types of stigma here. So next we're gonna, a little bit, we're gonna learn a little bit more about stigma. Um, stigma can impact people in three different spheres of life. And uh, this is actually shared on this week's handout as well. So first, um, the first sphere that stigma can be um, influencing in is self-stigma, which occurs when a person internalizes negative stereotypes, which results in a loss of self-esteem. The second one is social stigma. Um, so the first one is the self, social is their sphere slightly around them, like their uh, immediate surroundings. Social stigma occurs when community members avoid or reject individuals with lived experience. And then to move further out from the individual still, the third one is structural stigma, which occurs when social systems operate unjustly, excluding or disadvantaging people living with mental health challenges. So that kind of shows um, the different spheres of like self, their immediate surroundings of social and then structural, kind of the big overarching maybe like countrywide or governmental type. Um, and so we can actually dive a little bit deeper into self-stigma. And um, while it can take many different forms, up here we have three of the uh, most common forms. So the first one is negative self-talk, which is when individuals with lived experience are repeatedly exposed to negative beliefs or stereotypes about themselves or their condition and the individual starts to identify themselves by these negative beliefs. So in essence, what started as an external statement becomes an internal thought. So an example of that would be people with mental health challenges are weak. That would be the external statement. But then the person starts to turn that into the internal thought of I am weak or I wouldn't have this issue if I just tried harder. The second one is what's called I am language, which is when self-stigma starts to show up in the language people use to describe themselves and their lived experience. So an example of this would be I am schizophrenic or I am bipolar. And so what might seem like just kind of an insignificant detail in syntax actually can create some deep identity wounds within the person that just slaps a simplified label on a unique individual, and it reduces them just down to their diagnosis. And the third one that we have up here is shame and silence, which is when stigma results from what is not said versus what actually is said. And so when our communities fail to talk about the realities like mental health challenges, those realities become unspeakable and the shame that results from feeling like a failure and being unable to speak about lived experience is one of the most painful realities for individuals with mental health challenges. And that's one of the main reasons why we're doing what we're doing right here is to, to talk about this stuff and to make it not an unspeakable thing. And then just to tie those uh, aspects of self-stigma, especially the I am language, in with social stigma, that was the second one, um, a good example is using, or rather not using, person-first language. So person-first language is when we re 
when referring to someone with a particular lived experience, you, we should speak of the person first, not their diagnosis. So an example of that would be that child with autism, not that autistic child. Or he is a person with schizophrenia, not he is schizophrenic. So like person first, meaning like literally when you speak, you put the person first and the diagnosis second. So, and we'll hear some of these different aspects of stigma mentioned in today's video that we watch. So there have been questions about diagnosis, and then we talked about um, how the DSM-5, like, is what diagnoses mental challenges, and then there's a, um, kind of on a continuum from um, not the least, the least impactful, uh, mild, mild to moderate to serious mental illness. And so schizophrenia, would be considered a serious mental illness. And so we just thought we would give you, this is kind of the, um, the diagnostic criteria for schizophrenia out of the DSM-5. And then because our video features a person with lived experience um, with schizophrenia, um, we just thought it would be helpful for you to kind of understand how all that goes together. So um, this is another thing that is in this week's handout. We kind of put like an image of what is actually in the DSM. Yeah, it's on the back side there. Um, and so as you can see, that, that, that one's, that's, that's pretty much how it is listed in the DSM. And um, it's very, as you can see, it's detailed and lengthy. So up on the slide, uh, I've just paraphrased it slightly. But basically, the criteria for schizophrenia is that two or more of these symptoms must be present and one of them must be the first three. So we've got delusions, hallucinations, disorganized speech, uh, grossly disorganized or catatonic behavior, and negative symptoms, which means like a lack of something. So that would be like diminished emotional expression or like not talking much, not doing much. That's what negative symptoms means. And, and abolition, honestly, I just learned this recently, like abolition is where you can't be goal-directed. And so there's frustration among the loved ones. They're like, go to your appointments, whatever. And abolition or lack of ability to advocate for oneself or even to have goals and work toward them is a symptom. So you can see how hard that is, both for the person with, um, with that characteristic and then their loved ones that kind of don't know, man, do I push them? You know, where do, do I push them or do I just give them space? And it's just, it's a hard thing to manage. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that's the first criterion in the diagnosis is that they have to have at least two of those symptoms. Um, the next one is con continuous disturbance for at least six months. So that is uh, putting a time frame on it. So I know we had talked about this last week, like all like what goes into a diagnosis, all of that. So this is kind of the time bound criterion. Um, so at least six months. Um, the next one, there has to be dysfunctions in their work, interpersonal relations, and or self-care. So this ties into the individual's distress or dysfunction in their daily life. And we kind of see that with I think almost every single diagnosis in the DSM has like, it has to be distressing to the individual. So uh, that, that checks that box. The next one is that other psychological disorders have been ruled out. And so that rules out other mental health challenges that the person might be dealing with. Or like a UTI where you're having delusions, right? Yeah. 
um, which also kind of goes into the, the last point. Yeah, not, it, the disturbance is not attributable to the effects of a substance, uh, drug of abuse, or medication, or another medical condition. So that rules out other possible explanations, like a UTI, or, you know. A use of illegal substances. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And so you kind of have to wait till they detox to know, is this a symptom of schizophrenia, or was that just um, a reaction from using a, a drug? All right, yeah, I think you mentioned that um, the woman in today's video is, has been diagnosed with schizophrenia, so that's why we were showing. And again, that's the, the most severe, and so the mild ones may, the mild ones like general anxiety disorder or, um, um, one of my favorite diagnoses, like you have to do a diagnosis to bill insurance. So I like to stick with the most benign diagnosis, which would be a, an adjustment disorder with depressive symptoms. That might mean something happened, you know, my kid is struggling in school and I'm sad about it or whatever. So I always try and go with the least intrusive or least um, stigmatized diagnosis. Yeah. At least stigmatizing, because yeah. that's, that's something we do have to take into account when it comes to diagnosing individuals, is what kind of stigma will this label carry with yeah. it? You know, something so, so something like schizophrenia is pretty, pretty heavy, so. I don't know that I've ever diagnosed someone with schizophrenia, like on paper. They've always come to me already having that diagnosis established. So, all right, we'll do the, the video and just, uh, Jot down anything that occurs to you or stands out for you. <clears throat> I hope you are enjoying this week's Sunday Morning Bible Group. For more information, you can head over to stpeterscolumbus.org. There, you will find more faith content and you can support this ministry. And don't forget, if you are looking for that local church and you live in Columbus, we would love to see you on a Sunday morning. Now, back to the Sunday Morning Bible Group. Okay, um, <clears throat> what stood out for you guys? There was a lot in this. <clears throat> I think as a church, one thing that stood out to me was we don't make them a project. What are we gonna do? You know, because we have to fix people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have to make them like us. Yeah, that actually, David and I, that was the thing that stood out to me. We quoted that from the thing, from the video. I think the other thing that the church needs to keep in mind if we want to move towards people who are stigmatized is not reduce them to a project. How do we move toward people in the same way Christ does without reducing them in a different way? We're trying to get over the label, but now they're just a thing to help instead of a person to meet and encounter and be with. And like, we wanna help. <laughs> You know, we see someone that appears to have some challenges and we're and people here are so generous, you know, just um, like, here's some money, like, like Pastor Cordray, here's some money, give, give that person some money. And, you know, and that's all beautiful. And, and uh, especially someone like Simone, clearly her, her um, mental health challenge is managed well, right? She's a brilliant woman and very competent. And for people whose, um, whose mental health um, challenge isn't managed well, like we wanna help, like there's a homeless issue, you know, we need to, and all of that. And 
a lot of times, um, people with um, mental health challenges, you can say, go here, like go to the stress center, I'll take you to the stress center, or um, we'll get you um, housing or whatever. And whatever it is, they don't want to receive that help, you know? And then it's easy to be like, well, um, and then at that point, I think you just be with them and love them and hear their stories. And if they ever do leave that, just let them know the door is open, that we can help. But we encounter that here at St. Peter's. You know, then you stigmatize them. They don't want help. Right, right. I just spoke that, right? Um, and oftentimes it's part of their mental illness that it hinders them from seeing that they need help. Yeah. Thank you, Nancy. Yeah. So what do we do? <laughs> Go ahead. Jan, the paper yesterday, there was a, uh, an article talked about there's going to be a panelist on uh, the homeless and inviting people to come to that. And, and as I read, I thought, I wonder if they're inviting the homeless to find out what it is that they want and that, that they need to help get them through whatever they're getting through. Or was it just going to be a bunch of people who study that? Mm -hmm. Talking about it, right? Because I remember he hearing recently some talking, uh, uh, I don't know if it was an article or, or someone on TV, but uh, someone who had been homeless said that they got tired when they were in that phase in their lot of their journey uh, of always being approached by Christians uh, wanting to talk about, you know, the gospel and, and stuff. And they're like, what's this have to do with me being homeless? Right? I, mm -hmm. There's other things that led me to be homeless. I'm a believer. And that stigmatism is there too. So I just kind yeah. of current event for our city. Yeah. Other thoughts that came up at your table? So one thing that David and I talked about, the vision she had at the beginning, like, did you wonder, like, was that a psychotic vision? Or was, you guys talked about that, or was that, like, God really talking to her or providing that for her and you in scripture people had visions right and so were they psychotic or what do you guys think about that or what was your what did you conclude goes back to seeing the person first. Um, yeah. It's interesting because like the medical model would tend to pathologize spiritual experiences. And so that's why it's so important to be Holy Spirit led um, when you're working with people and um, to let God help you discern and listen to the person and not judge. Like, does it matter? Her vision 
brought great comfort to her. So why do we even have to judge whether that was really God or, or not? But I think the, the hard thing comes when delusions then end up being hurtful or harmful. You know, like um, Jesus told me to go to Los Angeles and leave my family to go do something in Los Angeles. And then you're kind of like, oh my goodness, what about her kids or whatever? Does that make sense? So as long as there's no um, hardship, like, but when there are hard things that might happen, if they followed their, what they believed God was telling them, then that's the hard part. Yeah. I think due to social media, what's put out there, and all you see is the trauma and the drama versus uh, really understanding what the disease is and learning what that is. And I think once you, it, it's like you have rheumatoid arthritis, where are the limitations for that person? You have schizophrenia. There you go. I just want to make sure everybody can oh, hear you. If you have schizophrenia, what, on your own, learn what that is so you can best develop that relationship with the individual. Same thing with any, and it got brought up here, um, how we don't stigmatize necessarily the physical um, issue that you have, but we do the mental issue you have. You know, no one's gonna judge me on rheumatoid arthritis, but they are gonna judge me if I have schizophrenia. Yeah. And with not understanding, and not with understanding really what they both hold for that individual. Well put. Other thoughts, questions, observations? I mean, clearly this woman is brilliant and, uh, and you would never know, had she not shared that, that she lives with schizophrenia. And so I would want that to be a way to offer hope, you know, that even for someone who would receive that diagnosis, that you can live a meaningful, functional life and it's interesting, she never talked about whether she received medication, you know? Um, and maybe that's by intent, so that we don't judge that too, right? Do they have to have um, drugs of some sort to, to be normal or somewhat normal? So the question is, does someone with schizophrenia have to have drugs to be normal? And. Uh, um, it's such a good question. Yeah. It's such a good question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, it, it differs like for for each individual, and um, their combination of you know therapy or support groups that they may be a part of, as well as medication. For schizophrenia in particular, um, it's been found that antipsychotics are very helpful. The downside is that most of them have very terrible side effects, and so usually people don't want to be on them or if they stop taking them for some reason, it's hard to go back on them because then they get uh, delusional. But um, they work very well. So um, if someone is on their medication, then they can be basically, you know, if, it's a, if, if the medication's working well, they can be like a normal person. So she probably was. We don't know. And I think the other thing is research has shown very clearly that the serious mental illnesses are a brain disease. I mean, there is evidence in the brain it's, that it's, it's just like a, 
biochemical diabetes or um, rheumatoid arthritis or something like that. So it's not just a, it is a legit brain disease. Renee, yeah? Good point. I think that that's a good way of looking at the like what we what we said right up here is to not just slap a label on someone, not just to see them as something that needs to be helped, um, but that they're a person and like getting to know them, and yeah, not either not expecting anything from them or not expecting to give them something. You know, you're not like, oh well, I don't have I don't have schizophrenia, so I can. I have something to offer this person who does. When like, that's not really the way we should be looking at it at all. It's like, I'm a person, they're a person, I just wanna to get to know them. And I have a lot to learn from any person. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Or any other questions at all that maybe have come up in the past couple of weeks that you haven't had a chance to answer? Or any comments or anything before we wrap up here? It's kinda of heavy, isn't it? intense stuff but like we said earlier uh, I'm, so, I'm so glad that like we're even having this class and talking about it because that in and of itself is such a huge step forward because if we were to not have a class if we were to never talk about it we're thinking mental illness it's something we shouldn't be talking about then that just honestly makes everything worse and it's just stigmatizes it that much more anyone who is dealing with that in any way, shape, or form in their lives, they're gonna feel that they themselves aren't worth anyone's time, or that what, you know, mental health is unspeakable. So I am just, like, personally so happy that this class is happening, and that each week so far we've had, like, a bunch of people show up. So, like, thank you guys so much for showing up. Like, it means a ton to me. I love to see it. Like, not, like, breaking down stigma is such a passion, and that's my passion. I want to I, I want to see it go further and further throughout my life. And yeah, the question at uh, a table over there was kind of like, why do, why do generally we kind of shy away from um, you know, people that may be struggling? And I think you're right, we don't know how to fix it. And when we don't know how to fix something, we just kind of don't know what to do, so it's easier to step away instead of stepping toward the discomfort. And so the whole point of this class is to help us all have conversations about it so that um, it's not so um, un under misunderstood or not understood. So just you guys, the conversations at your table is huge. So thank you so much. Anything else before we break for today? Okay, well, I'll just pray. God, um, Thank you for whatever it is um, in, for each of us that we leave here with today. And I pray that it would further equip each of us to just be your um, heart, um, your, your understanding and your love for someone that we're gonna encounter um, 
sometime in our life. Um, I thank you for um, the people here who really want to understand and seek to be your hands and feet. And I pray you'd bless our, our time, our week, and that it would bring you glory. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I hope that you enjoyed this Sunday morning Bible group. If you did, be sure to share it and subscribe so we can get you more faith content when it's available. And I wanna give a shout out to all people who call St. Peter's home. It is through you that we are able to connect people to Jesus for the first time and keep people connected for a lifetime. We hope to see you next time.